What we need is a king who is more than a mere son of man. We need one who is both a son of man and the son of God. One who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You're listening to the Holy Joys Sermon Podcast. Visit us at holyjoys.org to find more resources for a holy, happy church. Well, this morning we're continuing in our series on waiting for Christ. Waiting for Christ. And if you recall, the words Christ and Messiah both mean the same thing. They mean anointed one. Anointed one. And in ancient Israel, there were three offices that required ceremonial anointing with oil. The office of a prophet, the office of a priest, and the office of a king. And so far in our series, we've looked at God's promise to send us a prophet like Moses and a priest like Melchizedek. And last week, we learned that this priest would also be a king. And this morning, we're taking a closer look at God's promise to send us a king like David. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, fill our hearts with hope, faith, joy, and love as we wait for our promised prophet, priest, and king, that by him we may learn your will for our salvation, receive reconciliation through his perfect sacrifice, and enjoy deliverance from all our enemies under his righteous reign. In the name of Jesus Christ, our mediator, who always lives to make intercession for us, amen and amen. 
Verse 1 refers to Israel's gloom and anguish and to the time when God brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Because of Israel's sin, God had sent invaders from the north. We talk of the Babylonian, the Assyrian exiles, the Persians then after them. And Zebulun and Naphtali were at the far north of the promised land, and so they were the first ones to be desolated. Israel's gloom and anguish was physical and national, but it was also spiritual. It resulted from their sin and corruption. I don't need to tell you this morning that there is darkness in the world. We know it and we feel it. We feel it. In 2018, Andrew Peterson released a song, Is He Worthy? And it asks, do you feel the world is broken? And the whole congregation comes in, we do. We could easily join our voices with that chorus. We do. We do. We feel it. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But the next line of that song asks, do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? And the congregation comes in, we do, we know. In the midst of gloom and deep darkness, Israel was promised a light, a king like David who would put an end to all their enemies and lead the nation in righteousness. This king had been promised of old. In Genesis 3.15, God said that the woman's offspring would crush the head of the serpent. Crushing the head of the serpent is, is a king's duty. When David stepped out onto the battlefield and crushed the head of Goliath and cut it off, he was a type of the serpent crushing king that was yet to come. God then promised Abraham, kings shall come from you, and through your offspring all nations shall be blessed. Genesis 49 identifies Judah as the tribe from which the scepter shall not depart. In Numbers 24, Balaam, of all people, Balaam prophesies that a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion. And this, of course, is all leading up to God's great covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7. I will raise up your offspring after you. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The hope of this Davidic king fills the Psalms and the prophets. Psalm 2 is my favorite. It foretells that this Davidic king, the Lord's anointed, the Christ, the the Messiah, the anointed one, will judge the nations and rule over them to the ends of the earth. I have set my king on Zion, says the Lord, my holy hill. In Jeremiah, God says, I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Micah prophesies that from Bethlehem Ephrata 
shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. What Israel needed was a greater Davidic king to put down their enemies forever and lead the nation in righteousness. Isaiah 7, we heard it earlier in the service, prophesied of such a one. It said, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And now in Isaiah 9, we're told that Emmanuel will be the answer to all their gloom, anguish, and deep darkness. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Oh, come, oh, bright and morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of the night and turn our darkness into light. Brother Joe sent me a beautiful rendition by a choir of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. He said, Pastor Jonathan, you've got to listen to this. I've had it stuck in my head. Boy, that encouraged me so much. And it has all the verses. And we don't have all the verses in our hymnal, but if you want that, let me or Joe know, and we'll send it to you. Such powerful and beautiful words. Dispel the shadows of the night, that deep darkness that Isaiah talks about, and turn our darkness into light. In the great messianic prophecy of Isaiah 9, it's Christ's royal office. It's his endless government which is in focus. First, this morning, our text teaches us that this coming king will also be a prophet who shines the light of God's word and, in fact, is God's word the light of the world. Verse 1 contrasts Israel's gloom with a glorious time. For the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Galilee would be the place where the light would begin to dawn. The Messiah would begin his earthly preaching and teaching and healing ministry in Galilee of the nations. And from there, the light would shine to all peoples far and wide as the offices of priest and king were united in Melchizedek. And in that typology, we see a hint here that the offices of prophet and king will be united in the greater David. One Christ, one prophet, priest, and king, all of Israel's needs met in one messianic figure. Secondly, our text teaches us that this coming king will put an end to all oppression. He will put an end to all oppression. Isaiah likens Messiah's work to the day of Midian. That's when Gideon defeated the Midianites who had been coming in, destroying Israel's crops, ravaging their land. And scripture says the people were brought very low. They were oppressed under the hand of Midian. If you watch the news at all, you know the world is filled with oppression. I thought of uh, including some news stories here, but I don't think I need to. We know it all too well. We probably dwell on it more than we should. Cruelty and injustice 
are all too common in our world. And we don't need to look to the news because it's never far from home. In a congregation this size, if statistics are right, there are more victims of oppression than we could possibly imagine. There are probably some of you who have been verbally, physically, spiritually, or sexually manipulated or abused. And what makes me most sad and most angry, to be honest, is that this oppression is often present even in the church world. We've heard far too many stories about that this year. Wolves in sheep's clothing, preying on the flock, preying on needy and innocent people in the name of Christ. But in this deep, deep darkness of oppression, there's hope. There's hope because it says there's coming a day when every oppressor will be exposed. Their sin won't be hidden forever. Everyone will know what they have done and they will be judged with swift and fierce justice. As Christians, we need to forgive, but forgiving doesn't mean that we don't still cry out to God for vengeance and justice. It means we don't seek vengeance on our own. And it means we still want what's best for that person. We want them to repent, and we want them to come to know Jesus. But it doesn't mean that for the unrepentant, we don't cry out day and night for justice. We see that in the book of Revelations where the saints are under the altar. How long, O Lord? How long until those who spilled the blood of your people will be judged? And God says, vengeance is mine. And there's coming a day when our coming king will crush the rod of the abusers as Gideon crushed the Midianites. And for the broken and the oppressed, for victims, those who have been abused, this is very good news a light in deep, deep darkness. Third, our text tells us that the coming king will put an end to all warfare and violence. You know probably that the war in Ukraine is still going on. And uh, just this Friday night, while most of us were sleeping, Russian missile strikes pounded Ukraine, knocking out the power and putting the entire country under air raid alarm. I hear a little noise in the night. Lexi hears a little noise in the night, uh, and uh, we're, we're looking around. We're nervous. Is somebody in the house? What's going on? Imagine waking up to that. I recently read a newspaper article where a musician, Alexandra Lutzak, 20 years old, said the war had deeply affected her music. She said that now when she sings, she sees the faces of five friends who died in the war. Sometimes she imagines the experience of a friend captured by Russian soldiers. And while rehearsing folk songs, she envisions destroyed homes with no roofs, collapsed walls, everything burned down, and people standing around who have nowhere to spend the winter. She said these songs remind me of the pain. She said they also help me somehow to deal with the pain. And I think that's a beautiful picture of the spirit of Advent. We take time to wrestle with the darkness that is very much a part of our world, yet in the darkness we see light. I I tell you, just because something was done in church history doesn't necessarily mean we need to do it, but there's a lot of wisdom in church history. 
And you know, in times past, instead of it being hope, faith, joy, and love, the four candles represented death, judgment, hell, and heaven. How would you like to come to church? Today is death Sunday. Next week is judgment Sunday. And next week is hell Sunday. Why did Christians do that? I'm not saying we need to do that. But what I am saying is that maybe, maybe we need to wrestle more with the darkness together around God's word instead of trying to bear it alone. Because if all we do is watch the news day in and day out and fill our minds with the darkness of the world, it can overcome us. And this is a place to come and wrestle with the darkness so that the light of Jesus Christ can break through. That when we go out into the world, we aren't moaning and groaning to our neighbors about how bad things are when what they need to hear is about the hope. Peter says, when people ask you about the hope which lies within you, and that verse has so gripped me and challenged me for a couple years now because so often we're not marked by hope. We're marked by groaning and grumbling and complaining about how dark the world is when we are the ones who have the message of the light. This passage this morning in verse 5 shines that light in the midst of the darkness of warfare and violence. Verse 5 says that every muddy army boot and every bloody army jacket will be thrown into the fire. Isn't that good news? Isaiah 2.4 will be fulfilled. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. I'll tell you, in this dangerous world, I do support the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. I especially support the right to defend one's family or the innocent when they're attacked. But even though I support the right to own guns, we need to keep in mind what our coming king plans to do with them. He plans to beat them into gardening tools. If Isaiah 2.4 were written today, it might say they shall beat their battle rifles into plowshares and pruning hooks, and they shall do it gladly. Some people in our world turn guns into idols. They're like Peter in Gethsemane, quicker to cut off the ear of the high priest than to take the way of the cross. And when you see a gun, make sure that you remember it is evidence of a world going horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. Millions of precious people, millions of men and women made in the image of God have died at the hands of such weapons. And thankfully, Isaiah promises that our coming king will put an end to them and to all gun violence and to all wars forevermore. In the kingdom of Christ, there will be perfect peace and safety. There will be no fear when we hear the bump in the night. There will be no need for weapons or wars. Finally, this morning, our text reminds us that the coming king will establish a new kind of government, which brings unending peace, justice, and righteousness. How many times in any given week do we hear somebody say, oh, the government, the government this and the government that, oh, this government of ours. But you know, so often we fail to realize that as Christians, our message is about a new kind of government led 
by a new king who will bring peace and justice and righteousness. And you know, after thousands of years of self-serving Caesars and haughty Herods and philandering pharaohs, you'd think we would have learned by now not to put our hope in princes or in the arm of flesh as the Psalms warn us again and again and again. But how often do we get our hopes set on this or that politician only to be disappointed? And when they do bring a measure of peace, justice, or righteousness, it is always short-lived. What we need is a king who is more than a mere son of man. We need one who is both a son of man and the son of God. One who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's only such a great and glorious king, one who is true God and true man, who is capable of establishing lasting peace on this earth, who can subdue all creatures and bring God's dominion, his saving reign to the ends of the earth where the first Adam failed to do it. Only such a king is capable of bringing justice to all the oppressed. Those who go to the grave with no one ever knowing the great injustice which they've suffered. Only such a king is capable of establishing righteousness to the end of the earth and putting down the reign of that old serpent, the devil. The tempter will be banished. Sin will be no more. And this advent, if you are weary you're just weary. You're just weary of wars and rumors of wars. You're worn down by news of violence and death. If you're carrying the weight of oppression or injustice, maybe an injustice that happened to you decades ago, if you're burdened by our sad divisions, there is light for your deep darkness. A king is coming, a king like David, yet greater than David. Oh, come, O oh, key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe for us the heavenward road and bar the way to death's abode. O come, O king of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease and be yourself our king. Thank you for listening to the Holy Joy Sermon Podcast. Our labors for a holy, happy church are supported by generous listeners like you. Please pray about partnering with us at holyjoys.org forward slash donate.